0: We come to the book of Ephesians this evening, and we're going to expound a single verse, study a single verse, and that is Ephesians 4, verse 28. And we're continuing our series on work-related problems, and tonight we're looking at work ethic. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you. Asking that you would shine the light of your word into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. That you would give us eyes to see. That you would give us a heart to understand. That you would guide our feet in the path of obedience. May our hands do the work of righteousness. May our tongues speak the gospel of truth. The word of truth. The word of our salvation. May our eyes see need of those around us spiritual need as well as physical need and will you give us grace and make us channels of your blessing and your provision and give us ears then to hear the word to listen to the word and may we with all our heart and all our soul be obedient to Jesus Christ our master Amen When Jesus Christ changes a person, He changes that person totally and completely. It's not merely someone becoming a spiritual person. Jesus changes every single aspect of our lives. And that would include our work. As we read in 1 Corinthians seven seventeen to 24 speaking of your vocation, your calling... And where you even do your work with the Lord. So any devoted Christian, he's not merely known, says John Piper, not merely known as someone with whom you can share your personal problems. But also someone that can help you with complex professional problems. In other words, you see the person, oh, that guy will help me, I've got marital problems, I can go and talk to him, I've got personal issues, I can talk to him or her. No, but they know their job really well, I can go and ask them. Why? Because this person, the Christian, does his work for the Lord, Colossians 3.23. And that's part of biblical discipleship, of Christian discipleship. Doesn't doesn 't the Lord want us to honor him in every part of our lives, whether you eat or drink whatever you do, do all to the glory of God? Uh, I have two missionary friends, and I think they understand this really well. so the area they minister in mostly i don 't know ninety percent or more of the young people do not know who their fathers are or they do not have their fathers living with them they don 't know their fathers, and so they these missionary friends of mine, they see it as part of the task of Christian discipleship to teach these young people work ethic and especially the young boys who don't have fathers to take them and to train them, teaching them work ethic, a Christian work ethic for instance uh, be punctual don't be late listen to your employer, obey your employer and then Consider and look at detail because you want to do excellent work. And then work to make your company successful and be loyal to your company. Be trustworthy. Someone your boss, can, your, your employer can trust. Work hard, uh, aiming to be the best in your division. Take initiative. Do tasks even before the boss asks you to do them. Just take them up and start doing them and do them well. Find better ways and cheaper ways to get the work done. Be gracious and show much grace to clients. And if you work in this way, you you will earn people's respect and you will earn the right to share the gospel with them. And then you can tell them, I wasn't like this in the past. I wasn't a hard worker. I didn't do as well. I didn't do it with the right motives. I was crooked or I cheated and so on. But Jesus came and he changed my life. And then you tell them how Jesus did that and you share the gospel with him. And in this way, people will, will start seeing that work ethic, it's not merely a good character trait. It's part of the Christian life as we see in Ephesians 4.28. Let's read it. Paul says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So number one, we can look at a couple of commands. The first one is work, do, uh, work honestly. Work honestly. I remember having... I, Had to buy parts for my car car parts for a service and i went to the dealer and he gave me a certain price which was quite a lot of money and as i wanted to pay i realized oh goodness i don't have my bank card with me so i had to go home get the bank card and i went back and i returned i went to the same salesman and he gave me a different price and i said why is it more expensive now Oh, and then he fiddled something on the computer, and then he said, oh, here's the price. I said, but why was it more expensive? And he said, it depends whom is selling what to whom. Christians shouldn't be like that. Christians should not steal. Christians should not be dishonest. Christians should not take what does not belong to them. Verse 28, let the thief no longer steal. That's the eighth commandment. Now, I can say a lot about stealing, but I want to focus on ways people steal from their employers and people steal in the workplace. People steal petty cash. People steal by being dishonest uh, when they do the company's books or when they fill in tax forms, like Judas, who stole money because he had the purse. People steal out of the, the company's bank account if they can get into it. They steal. By not doing diligent work, by not keeping proper record of money that comes in and the money that goes out, and in that way the company loses money. They steal by not reporting all the money that came in, but holding some of it for themselves, keeping back some for themselves. They steal what belongs to the company. Even little things like pencils and pens and other stationery, they steal by using the company's property, well, to make a profit for themselves. Uh, So the company says you cannot use company equipment or your company's time or your expertise to do other jobs so you can make extra money, but they just disregard that. And then they steal also by just abusing the privileges they have and the things the company give them for company use, like the company coal, or the petrol car, the fuel card, or maybe the photo or the, the copying machine, photocopier. And then they steal by, through, by taking bribes, and then I take a bribe, and now I'm going to help this client, and this client will get the business from me. And then they steal time so the boss pays you for eight hours of work and you do six hours uh, stealing time wasting time on the internet while you're supposed to work wasting time by instead of seeing clients you stop at your friend's house you have coffee or taking extra extra coffee breaks in the at the office or uh, chatting in the office while you're supposed to be working or arriving late and leaving early and so on and then stealing from your workers by not paying them on time. And so you get the extra interest in your bank account. And the Bible warns against that against that. And then stealing by not paying your workers proper wages. So you you earn 20 times as much as they do, but then you reward their hard work with peanuts. And Jesus said the laborer is worthy of his wages, he deserves his wages. And then stealing by paying too little for those who provide the goods, so for instance you receive goods from a certain company and, and the product that you are buying for your shop costs um, 2000 Rand and you only want to pay 1600 Rand, so you're not willing to pay the full price and what it's worth. Or stealing by telling lies, lying to clients, or stealing. Yeah, you're lying about the price. You're lying and you're taking more than than you're supposed to. Or stealing by asking. Just I mean, prices are off the charts. No one can afford that, and that's not what it costs at all. You're not making 100% profit, you're making a 1,000% profit. That's just daylight robbery. That's like like the people in the temple. Stealing, making it a den of robbers. Stealing from the poor. Matthew 21, 12, and 13. Or, Or maybe another way of stealing is by not paying what you owe. So you're in debt, you're supposed to pay that, and Romans 13 tells you you should pay... Or you should pay what you owe and really owe no one anything except to love one another. But now you're not paying what you owe and you're stealing. That's a way of stealing. It's theft. Or just being a swindler. If that's the correct word. Just double check. It's in First Corinthians chapter 6. Yes, that's it, swindlers. So it's people that just disappear with your money. So you buy, you buy the certain item for your shop or maybe they um, bring the product and bring it to your business or your company, your restaurant, and then you pay 50% deposit and then you just ignore their calls when they call for the rest, Where's the other 50% you owe us and you never pay. It's stealing. Or stealing by earning money in ways that are illegal like on the black market, selling diamonds or whatever. That's stealing, that's theft. Or stealing by, well, you sell something to the client, sell, quote unquote, but he never gets it. For instance, my, my mother bought a stove online shopping and she paid almost 10,000 Rand and she never got the stove, that's stealing. After lots of fighting and eventually calling the police, she did get her money back. But that was theft. Or stealing by the client pays you 4,000 rand to do the job, but you use old parts. Or you do a very poor job, or you never even finish the job. That's stealing. Or stealing by taking other people's work and making as if it's your own. That's theft. That's called plagiarism, like in Jeremiah 23 verse 30, where the prophets steal one another's words, people stealing other people's sermons, not preparing their own, and acting as if this is my sermon, I prepared it. No, you didn't. I recently got a message from a a teacher saying, you know, I do all this hard work, I help others, and then they take my work and they just put it forth as their own. Or stealing by by borrowing stuff from the company. But you never give it back. That's theft. Or stealing by borrowing stuff and then, then well, you don't look after it very well. Or you even look after it so poorly it's lost and you don't know what's become of it. That's a form of theft. Now perhaps you listen to all of this and you think, well, well my form of theft isn't as so serious it's not that serious but you know according to scripture even someone even a child stealing from his or her parents is just like any other thief proverbs 28 verse 24 and that kind of person anyone who steals has got a bad heart it's got an evil heart mark 7 verse 21 from the heart comes theft so they've got evil hearts they've got bad hearts and first corinthians 6 verse 10 they will not enter the kingdom thieves robbers swindlers whoever uh, lives a wicked life, will not enter the kingdom of God. But of course you can't change, you can't change. The Lord can give you a new heart, a new heart that desires Jesus more than you desire the treasures of this earth, that desires heaven more than earth. He can change you, he can save you like he once saved a thief, a robber on a cross. He can change you like he changed the thief called Zacchaeus. And he changed him from someone who used to steal from people and cheat people to someone who loved to give to people. And he gave more than he stole. Like a man I knew, he's now in heaven. But this man told me when he was a young boy, he coveted a pocket knife, a pen knife, and he stole it. And years later when he was converted, well, the knife had disappeared by then. He didn't know what had become of it. but. He wrote a check and thought, what would that knife cost today? And I think maybe even checked the price and then sent a check and said, I stole that and I want to ask your forgiveness. And here's a check to buy a new pen knife. And so Jesus can change thieves. He can change you from someone who does not steal any longer into someone who works hard, verse 28, if the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor. And that leads to point number two. The second command is work hard. Now the Greeks, the Greeks and the Romans, they had a very, a very low view of physical labor uh, and of hard work. They thought, oh, that's just beneath the rich. We don't work like that. That's a slave's job to work with your hands and to work hard. But Jesus worked with his hands. Jesus was a carpenter, Mark 6, verse 3. Paul worked with his own hands. He labored. He worked hard. He was a tent maker, Acts 18, verse 3. And he used to work hard, uh, according to Acts 20, 34 and 35. 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, where he starts teaching others now, you should labor with your own hands. 2 Thessalonians 3, he said, we labored with our own hands. We we worked hard, a sweating. And we taught you to do the same and gave you an example to follow. Now, the the Greek word here in verse 28 for labor really means working to the point of exhaustion, hard work. So Christians, Christians shouldn't be afraid of working hard. Don't be afraid of hard work. Don't think, oh, certain kinds of jobs, that's beneath me. I'll never do that. I'll never work like that. That's working with your hands. That's working too hard. No, man, get your hands dirty. Get soil under your nails, dirt under your nails, your fingernails, and sit behind that desk and, and lie down on the workshop floor and get underneath the car's engine and sit behind your needlework behind the machine and get going and fill in the books and fill in the numbers on the computer and get the pots on the stove and sit behind the books and start doing your homework work hard to the glory of God and if you work hard then the temptation to steal won't be as great verse 28 let the thief no longer steal but opposite rather let him labor and then it continues I'm not done with the whole sentence but work hard you know, if, if most people in a country would work hard and not steal, then you'll have a rich country, you'll have a prosperous, prosperous country. Now immediately someone will say, some pious Christian will say, but is it not a sin to be wealthy? Well, no. We don't go to the extremes of the health, wealth and prosperity gospel where we chase money, but it's not a sin to be wealthy. You had many characters in scripture who were wealthy. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Job and Boaz. King David and Hezekiah and Josiah and the women in Luke chapter 8, verse 1 to 3, they were wealthy. Zacchaeus was a wealthy man. Joseph of Arimathea was a wealthy man. You see, the sin comes in this. The sin is when you start idolizing money and possessions and riches. And and it's true, the more money you have, the easier you you can start making an idol of it. So you should be careful that it doesn't get a grip on your heart, that money doesn't take over your heart like weeds in a garden, like the rich young ruler who was so in love with his money he couldn't follow Jesus. So how do you prevent money from taking over your heart, this love of money? Well, you should use it in the way God wants you to use it, take care of your family, share with the poor, uh, support God's work, the work of the kingdom, the work of missions and evangelism. Um, verse 28 at the end it says we should be able we should have enough that we may share with others or lydia in act 16 where she took the missionaries in she was a rich woman a seller of purple first timothy 6 verse 18 using your money and your possessions to the rich to bless others to help others and so on now i'm going to say more on that later on but for now we shouldn't hold back we shouldn't be afraid of working hard And working hard to become rich. Don't be afraid of that. So that you can help others. So that the kingdom of God and the message of the kingdom can expand. By the use of our means, our money, our riches. And then Christians who work hard, they also, they really, they benefit society. They benefit the economy. Jeremiah 29 verse 27. Seek the welfare of the city where you will live in. Uh, Speaking of the Jews who lived in Babylon, for in its prosperity you will find your prosperity. In its welfare you will find your welfare. That's exactly what happened in the Roman Empire. So the Roman Empire, you had many rich people, and they were rich because they had royal blood. They were from some noble family, or maybe they inherited a large sum of money. Uh, so you had these rich people, and then you had the poor. Those were the two classes, the very rich and the poor. And the, the poor were, most of them were slaves, and then many of them were just merchants and and people like fishermen or carpenters or blacksmiths and so on. And these people, they weren't rich. They just had enough to cover their expenses every month and to buy food and to earn a living. But then Jesus came, and Jesus changed people's hearts. And he started teaching these new disciples, work hard. And now suddenly, uh, any of the nobles, and there weren't many of them who were converted, Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 1, but the nobles who were converted, and the nobles who did become Christians, well, they, they didn't sit on the couch being fed grapes all day they started working hard and then the christian slaves started working hard and the christian merchants started working hard and farmers and whoever else they started working hard and because of the hard work many of these merchants became rich and as a result you did not you no longer had only the very rich and the poor you had a new class called the middle class, where you had ordinary people. They're not nobles. They didn't inherit a large sum of money. They were just ordinary people who worked hard and became rich. And so there you have the middle class. And I hope you can see how, how Jesus and how the gospel and the teachings of Jesus, how it changes and the light shining, the light shining, Jesus' light shining through the church, how it changes an economy. It can change a whole society. That's what Jesus said. We're the light of the world. Because without the gospel, people are just greedy and they grab all the gold and diamonds and oil and the other resources. They grab it all for themselves. They want it all. And so what happens then? You've got a couple of people who become stinking rich and the rest have to work for them. And the rest that works for them, they remain poor, working like slaves. But where Jesus comes, And when Jesus comes and Jesus changes people's hearts, and so they start working hard now because they want to honor God through hard work, there you see a change coming, and a whole economy changes, and the whole economy, a whole country benefits from the hard work of these people. Now, perhaps you're questioning my theory because you're saying, well, there are many anti Christian countries that are rich. Well, let me respond by saying, your reasoning is wrong. Your reasoning is wrong. The fact that my neighbor's peach tree, some of the branches hang over into my yard and I enjoy the fruit, doesn't mean it's my peach tree. And in the same way you've got many countries, they secular countries, they're non-Christian, they're anti-Christian countries even, who become rich. rich. Um, well, it's because they followed a Christian work ethic. That's why. So they didn't want my peach tree in their yard. They didn't want Christianity in their yard in their country, but they enjoy the sweet fruit hanging over the wall. That's for, uh, as an example. That's what happened in Japan. And we can uh, we can give many examples, but let's take Japan as an example. Japan is anti-Christian. One percent of Japan is Christian, and Japan isn't interested in Christianity. But Japan became rich when the Emperor Meiji, in the 19th century, toward the end of the 19th century, he accepted a Western work ethic. And Western work ethic, where does that come from? It comes from the Reformers and the Puritans, Christian preachers and theologians, who started teaching their people. It is not unspiritual to do a secular job. It's not unspiritual to be a carpenter. You don't have to be a pastor or a bishop or a priest or whatever. It's not unspiritual. Don't, don't regard your work as unspiritual. You can work to glorify God. And when they started doing that, you had ordinary people becoming rich. And anyone who does that, anyone who does that and says, I want to work to the glory of God, you're going to do an excellent job. Now, it's true that even unbelievers can do an excellent job. We understand that. But they don't have the same motives we do. So the unbeliever, they work hard because they're chasing money. They're chasing possessions. They want to chase those things and get those things, and they don't acknowledge the giver of those gifts. Who is God? Like in the book of Hosea, chapter 1, verse 5, 1, verse 8, 1, verse 5. They said, I will worship all these things. I will go after my gods who will give me grain and wine and riches, all these stuff. But they didn't acknowledge it was God who gave them all this stuff. They're worshipping money. We, on the other hand, as Christians, we work hard because we want to honor God. We want to glorify God. And it's in that way there's a kind of satisfaction in doing that, a satisfaction and fulfillment no unbeliever knows. They don't understand that. Even if they have all the money in the world, they will never understand this way of working and doing their job. Because all the money in the world will never satisfy. It can never bring fulfillment because you're going to lose it all the day you die. So what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? You lose your soul for money. For what? It's like that rich fool. In Luke 12, you fool, you fool. Making all these riches, thinking you're going to enjoy it. Tonight your soul will be taken from you, and who's going to enjoy your riches? Third command, work to help other people. So there's a, there was a very wealthy businessman in the United States called Ernie Riesinger, and he got converted and he started using his money later on he became a pastor but only i think he was almost 50 or just over 50 years old um but he was a very rich man and as a christian he started using his wealth to expand the kingdom to support gospel work to plant a church and support that church to bring a a very good christian publisher to the United States, the Banner of Truth. He was involved in that uh, with the Banner of Truth coming to the US and then also sending 12,000 copies of a systematic theology textbook to pastors and to students across the United States. And that is exactly right. That is how a wealthy Christian should use his wealth and riches. Don't use your wealth if you're a Christian just to buy nicer toys and go on more luxurious holidays use it to expand the kingdom now before you get to that it says in verse 28 you should work with your own hands now i take that as implying different things but one one implication if if you work with your own hands the implication is you're making a living for yourself first of all for your family Otherwise, if you don't care for your family, well then, all you're giving for God's kingdom is just hypocrisy. Jesus said that to the Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're saying, I can't give this money to my parents who I need because it's for God. Or First Timothy 5 verse 8, if you don't take care of your family, especially of your, your very near family, your immediate family, that you've denied the faith and you're worse than an unbeliever. And then also, working with your own hands, verse 28, also implies you may, if you work with your own hands, you may have private property. I mean, communism says, no, shouldn't have private property. And socialism says, no, shouldn't have private property. The government should own all property. The government wants your land. The government wants your farm. Well, (coughs) of course, they'll say... That it's biblical. And they're just following the Bible because the Bible supports communism. In Acts chapter 2, the end of Acts 2 and the end of Acts 4, where it says the believers sold their possessions and even their, their farms, and they brought the money, and, and it was shared among them all, and the poor was helped. Well, Acts chapter 4 and chapter 2, don't, those chapters don't support communism at all. No one forced them to sell your land. No one said, You must sell your land and bring the money to the church and give it to the poor. Uh, it was, they did it willingly. They did it from a heart filled with love. Acts chapter 5, even Ananias, after he'd sold a piece of land and he really cheated and acted as if he had given the whole amount to the church, but he didn't. And Peter said, Before you sold it, it was yours. And in eyes, no one told you to sell this. And even after you sold it, no one told you, bring the money to the church. It's yours. You could have used it the way you wanted, but you didn't. You lied. That's the issue. So the Bible isn't against private property. Am I not allowed to do with my own money as I please? Matthew 20, verse 15. And and just the fact that verse 28 says, do not steal. The thief should no longer steal. That implies... There's such a thing as private property. Don't take what doesn't belong to you. Where you have a government, where the government, any country where the government owns everything, and they just hand out as they decide, well, then people become lazy. Because who who wants to work if the government will take care of you? And obviously, such governments really enjoy doing that because they... They own all the money, they own all the land, they've got all the power, and they're kind of the Messiah. They're the saviour of the people, the saviour of the country, like North Korea. I'm the saviour, you must worship me, I'm your president. Um, if you have a country where everyone takes responsibility for himself, well then people work hard. Why? Because if you don't work hard, you stay hungry. That's what Proverbs 16 verse 26 tells us. That the worker's appetite works for him. I better work because I want to eat. And the same in Proverbs 20 verse 4. Here's this guy who... I don't think it's verse 4, is it? Let me double check. Proverbs uh, probably Proverbs 20 verse 4. A guy, he didn't work, yes. The slugger doesn't plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. So it's going to spur him on. I better work, otherwise I'm not going to have. Like Paul said, he who's not willing to work must not eat. Yes, but but what about the poor? Who's going to take care of them? Someone asked. Well, in most cases, I'm not saying all, but in most cases, the poor will not be poor if they work hard. Now, you are going to have cases where you have someone who's working really hard and he's poor, and he remains poor. And those are the kinds of people, verse 28 says, we should take care of them. We should share with anyone in need. How do we do this? Well, you should work hard so that you can earn more than you need. Don't just work, I'm just going to work to barely make it so I can just have enough to survive. No, work for more. Work harder so you can be rich. Work harder so you can earn more so that you can have to take care of your family and help those who do not have. That's exactly... What verse 28 tells you, you should work so that you can have extra to share. Or Matthew Matthew 25 verse 20, where you have the man, he received five talents. And it doesn't mean a talent like a talent to play rugby or play the piano. It means a currency, a talent was 20 years wage. So this is 20 years salary times five. That this man receives so he said you gave me five talents i've made five i made five more so he made a profit that's good now we shouldn't chase money it shouldn't be our idol we're not prosperity gospel jesus wants to make you wealthy but it's a biblical principle work hard earn more so that you can share and the order of helping the poor is first your own family then the poor in your spiritual family, the congregation, and then unbelievers who are poor. Galatians 6 verse 10. where It says, Paul writes to the Galatians and says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So why do we help them? Well, we don't help the poor because we think like Muslims. We don't think like Muslims. Muslims think that if they help the poor, that'll get them to heaven. It's one of their five pillars, almsgiving, helping the poor. We don't think that way. We help the poor because Jesus has changed our hearts. And we want to honor Jesus. He has made us new people. We are no longer thieves, verse 28. We are people who work hard so that we can give to others and take care of our families. Romans 12, verse 13, sharing Uh, contributing to the needs of the saints. Hebrews 13, 16, sharing, doing good. Jesus became poor. He became poor so that we, through his poverty, might become spiritually rich, uh, spiritual riches, eternal riches, heavenly riches. So because Jesus did that, we want to do the same. We want to do the same and help people. We want to do the same. Jesus loved us, and now we want to love others. Jesus gave his life for us. And we want to now sacrifice and help others. First John 3, verse 16 to 18. So don't be afraid of hard work so that you can become rich, so that you can have more to give to God's kingdom and help other people. That's just part of a Christian work ethic. In John Wesley's words, make all you can, save all you can, give all you can. Our Heavenly Father, We do ask for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to be upon us. As you have transformed us to become new people, changed people from the inside out, changed people from the heart, may it extend to our arms and hands to work hard for the glory of God, extend to our minds to think as we work how to do this work to the best of our ability. And for the good of society, and most of all, to the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.